Thanks, Bill. Yeah, Soul Search, um, the familiar Psalm 22. The psalmist cries out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? And in fact, about a third of the psalms are called psalms of lament. And that's psalms that are expressing emotion like this psalm expresses. Where are you, God? Or another one that is common is, how long? Go, Go do a search through the psalms. And how many times the psalmist cries, how long must I wait, Lord, until you come? And so sometimes we feel distanced from God in the same way that the psalmist felt distance, and we cry out, where are you, God? I don't know if, has anybody else, am I the only one here, okay, that does this? I do this, I've done this, but I still do it. There's times in my life I'm like, God, where are you at? Um, Second problem. Here we go. The truth is, God is omnipotent, omnipotent and omnipresent. Gotta loosen up my tongue. I'm not turning into Dan Slade. Arriba! No, that was that was Walt Berger. <laughs> if you don't know what that means. It's okay. <laughs> Come and talk to me later. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Okay? It means he's everywhere all the time. And he does not change. All right, so it's more accurate to realize that we've moved, that God hasn't moved away, or we've become disconnected in some way from him. That's the, that's the reality but it doesn't feel that way, and it's okay to not feel it that way. All right? It feels like God's left us. But the reality is something's changed in us, and uh, Isaiah just really nails it. <clears throat> Prophecy to the people of God. He says, listen, <laughs> pay attention. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God, because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. In other words, sin, which is destructive behaviors that we do when we violate the nature of God by behaving in a way that uh, is contrary to his nature of purity and love and truth, or we um, violate his will by doing something that's destructive, that's hurtful to us, hurtful to others, or would we neglect to do something that's loving and kind and just and true? That's what sin is, right? It's behavior that's contrary to the nature and the will of God, and it's hurtful for us. And, 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 and what results is that it separates us from God. And yes, it says, because of your sin, he's turned away and will not listen anymore. But God's actions are always redemptive. He does this to get our attention. He he loves us too much to leave us in our sin. 
And he must make us aware that we've been distanced. And so he allows, allows us to experience feeling the separation. I mean, listen, this was most clearly displayed on the cross when Jesus Christ, who had no sin and had never felt experience, even for a moment, separation from his heavenly Father and communion with the Holy Spirit. He was, uh, Jesus is eternal, and so for eternity he lived in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. And on that moment, he felt the separation. He felt this distance. He felt not only the guilt and the shame of of my sin and your sin and the sins of every man, woman, and child, but he also felt what we experience when we're separated from life. And Jesus cried out that psalm that I read earlier. He cried out on the cross, My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? That was the moment when Jesus experienced the separation from God as a result from sin. And it's when we come to the place where we accept that Jesus did that on our behalf, then it opens up a door. Because Jesus did this in order to reconnect us with God. All right? He experienced it, and the Bible explains this so clearly in Hebrews. It says, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And so it's just the majesty and the mystery of God that when Jesus encountered separation from God on the cross, taking our place, taking our punishment, taking our guilt, taking our shame, and he took that to the grave. But because he had no sin, the grave did not have the power to hold him there. There's an Old Testament verse that says he gripped the bars and tore the gates away. All right? He he broke out of hell and led uh, an escape to anyone willing to follow him. And that's why Jesus would say, follow me. Where? Follow me to the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And this uh, scripture, is, is, uh, the book of Hebrews, is, is a book written to, people, to Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews. <laughs> so it's written to the people who understood the old covenant, and it helps bridge the gap between the practices and the, and the belief systems of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And this is what's really powerful here is that in the Old Testament, only one person, one time a year, could go beyond the, the curtain into the whole, most holy place. The high priest, after all this uh, preparation, he was able to go in. And tradition has it that uh, they tied a rope. This is not in the Bible, but it's a tradition that they tied a rope on his ankle in case he hadn't purified himself adequately and would drop dead in the presence and they could pull his body out. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a very, very special time, and only one person was allowed to do it one time a year. But we are allowed to do it every day. We have open access. 
to go in where, 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 where no one was allowed before, it's now, it's now the place we belong. It's where we can go in and enter into the, the Father's presence. And Jesus accomplished that on the cross. If, you're, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered your will and accepted him as Lord and Savior, or if you've done that but you haven't been living it, this is why you do it. This is the, this is the benefit. All right? The benefit is not an easy life. The benefit is not all your problems go away. Yes, there are things in life that's easier. And yes, God will lead you into victory in many problems. But the real benefit is that you have access to the Father, the most holy place, through what Jesus did on the cross. That we can, we can draw near God in this. And we must, even though Jesus uh, 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 made the way, we must daily enter that way uh, and, and learn how to draw near God and the scripture says that when we draw near him, he'll draw near us. And this whole series is about identifying uh, ways that we can draw near to God and also identifying language <clears throat> where we can evaluate where we are spiritually in uh, different areas. And the idea is that um, we are either moving toward God, growing in intimacy and unity and community, with the God experiencing him in um, a more life-giving way, or we're stuck. And hey, guys, it's okay. We can be stuck. You know, sometimes you can be in one part of your life moving toward God, but in another aspect of your life, just stuck. And in another aspect of your life, you could actually be drifting away from God or not sure what's happening. Or, you know, your whole life can be in one of these areas. And so this idea of identifying, am I moving away from God? Am I stuck or am I actually progressing? <clears throat> and sometimes in life, you know, you shoot forward and you experience something, you learn a new truth or uh, change a behavior and you can really experience a closeness with God. Uh, but often it, it's incremental. As long as you're inching forward toward God, that's good. And, but even if you realize that you're stuck or moving backward, that's actually good because you've, you've, you've become aware. Like the psalmist, he was aware that he was separated from God. And we're using the SOUL acronym, as uh, Pastor Bill mentioned, as a way to measure and evaluate where we are in different areas. The first one is scripture. How's your relationship with God's word? Others, how's your relationship with, um, with others? And how's that affecting your soul? And we talked a lot about uh, the importance of that last week. Today I'm going to be talking about the upward, and that's our relationship with God, and L is life. That would be everything else, work. And we can say, am I moving toward God? Am I stuck? Or am I moving away from God in each of these four areas? But another way you can use this is you, if you just feel stuck in life, or if you just feel like you, you know, you're in that place where the psalmist like, where are you, God? Where are you, God? You feel disconnected. You can go, okay, wait a minute. How have I been in Scripture? Have I, have I been getting into the Word regularly? Or, you know, how are my relationships? You can evaluate your life by looking at these four areas and see if maybe it's because I'm not spending time in prayer that I'm not connecting with God. Huh? Maybe because 
everyone I hang out with are doing behaviors and drawing me into sinful lifestyle patterns or, or we just never talked about God, we never pray with one another. So maybe, maybe something in your relationship needs to change and you're stuck because of something in your relationship. You see how this works? Um, and so this, you can identify where you're stuck or moving backward or where you're not advancing in one of these areas, but you can also uh, just evaluate why you're stuck or moving backward in general by identifying these areas and, uh, and, and learning how, uh, 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 learning and attaining skills to move forward. And so today we're going to talk about our relationship with God. And this is my, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. All right, Paul wrote this. Take in mind who wrote this. It was the Apostle Paul. After decades of ministry, planting churches, read the book of Acts and all the, the adventures and the trials and the successes that he experienced. He had written many of the New Testament letters. Philippians is one of the later letters that he wrote. He was actually in prison with a death sentence when he wrote it. I mean, I think he was a pretty successful minister. <laughs> Paul actually really gives us a definition of uh, what church is. We look to the writings of Paul to understand what God intends for the church to be and how we are, uh, ministries are to, to reach out to the world and the whole idea of church planting and missionary work. God used Paul to teach us that. Yet even after doing it for decades, his heart was, man, I'm just pressing into this. Uh, I'm reaching forward. I forget everything that's past, both good and bad. And he's pressing toward the goal. And what's the goal? The goal is, is an upward call. It's an invitation to go further and farther. And so Paul's passionate, diligent, pursuit for more of God is actually the definition of maturity, all right? He says, anyone that's mature, think this way. And if you don't think this way, God will reveal it to you. So maturity, Christian maturity, is not a plateau that we reach. Rather, it's an expertise in the skill of climbing. Does that make sense? All right? And so it's like a mountain climber, which I have no comprehension why anyone would do that. Like, they are not in their right mind. I know, that's like the most, that's just. That's how we need to be spiritually, though. And a, and a mountain climber is not, you know, they're, they're rated, they're, they're, uh, they actually have ratings. I read articles about these guys. <laughs> it's 
crazy. But I'm, I'm challenged by them, you know, the commitment they, they have. But they have skill levels. <clears throat> and I forget, there, there's a scale that they're rated at. And the rating has, has not as much to do with the mountains they've climbed, but their ability to climb, their skill in climbing, and, 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 and being a mature, excellent mountain climber is not just about getting on top of a mountain. It's about the ability to, this, it's, uh, their level of skillfulness in climbing. In fact, most mountain climbers get to the top of the mountain, they take a few pictures, they're there for generally less than a minute or two, especially the big ones like Everest. Uh, they're, they're literally there for a minute or two after years of preparation, and then they turn around and go back down. Because it's not about standing on top of a mountain. In the same way, our spiritual walk is not about reaching some plateau where now you're mature. All right? Because you, you'll never reach that plateau. Because maturity is skill in climbing, skill in ascending, skill in the ability to get closer to God. So I'm going to real quickly go through four climbing tools. The first one, these are four ways that we can, we can advance in the upward call, prayer. <clears throat> to be Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. <laughs> you know, you can last about two to three minutes without breathing. So do, do, we, do we really believe that about prayer? I do. <clears throat> uh, true prayer as Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of all times, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It's a spiritual transaction. I love that idea. It's a transaction. Transaction is you give and you receive. There's a giving and receiving on both ends with the creator of heaven and earth. Or a very uh, powerful uh, quote from Corey Ten Boom. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? <laughs> right? And of course, it should be the spare tire. Uh, no, it shouldn't be the spare tire. It should be the steering wheel. Spare tire you take out when you have something breaks down, right? No, we want prayer to be our steering wheel, don't we? Okay, I'm going to just talk a little bit about prayer. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 7. Uh, Jesus said, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Private prayer is absolutely essential. Every Christian needs to learn how to practice it. I believe that you should uh, not only privately pray, it says pray without ceasing, that means don't, never stop praying, um, uh, don't give up on it, uh, but uh, find ways to integrate prayer into every aspect of your life. And it's, it's great to pray while you're driving to work or going this here and there. But it's also important that you take some time every day that you just say, okay, I'm going to pray now. I don't care if it's just five minutes. I don't even if it's two minutes. Most Christians don't do that. Sure, we pray. But we don't stop and put away all distractions and say, okay, I'm going to pray now. I'm not going to do anything else. And you need to do that. And I've been using the Echo app. We used it as a church. I just use it personally. It's free if you just use it personally. So I have prayer requests. There's things I pray every day. And then, you know, you can keep track of it. Find a way where you discipline yourself and grow in your prayer, private prayer. <clears throat> and then there's group or public prayer. And this is biblical too. 
Some people read that about, uh, you know, everyone knows Jesus said that about going into your closet. But there's many, 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 many prayers throughout Scripture that are public. And so it's an equally and equally important way to pray. And this is in Acts chapter 1. It says, these all continued, the disciples, with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Uh, so at this point, his family had had accepted the reality that Jesus was, was Lord. This was uh, as they were in the upper room right before Pentecost when the Holy Spirit poured out. It says, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, and there were about 120. So they were having a prayer meeting of 120 people. And this was a normal practice and throughout Acts and throughout the New Testament. You see uh, the saints gathering together and agreeing in prayer. And so whether it's two or three, Jesus said, wherever two or three gather in my name, there I'm with you. He's present. So whether you're two or three or a hundred or 200, there's times where corporate prayer is a powerful way to move into uh, the Lord. And, And praying aloud is a skill that takes a bit of courage. And many, many Christians struggle with this. And I, I just want to say, if, if you've never prayed out loud or out loud in a group, don't be ashamed. Understand that that's a skill that needs to be learned and practiced. And, and every Christian has to do that. And sometimes Christians wait years and years. And let me just give you some tips. Start praying aloud when you're alone. Okay? So you get used to hearing your voice. Uh, It should be practiced alone, but also in groups. Spoken words have more authority. You know what? You can be thinking anything, but you can't be held account of your thoughts. But once you say something, then there's a level of accountability and authority you're stepping into. And so learning how to pray out loud, it increases your level of authority. Um, <clears throat> spoken prayers also reveal something about yourself. And in doing so, especially when the, in, in a group, uh, you encourage others. And you become a little more vulnerable until you build relationship. And so uh, you have something to contribute to the prayer. And, in the community groups, we're encouraging the community groups to spend time in prayer in the group each time they meet. And, and everyone doesn't have to pray every time, but you know what? If you've never prayed aloud in a group setting, say something. It's okay. You won't make a mistake. Uh, and you actually grow in experience and strength. And then praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Uh, I'm going to do a super short, abbreviated teaching on tongues because, you know, uh, it's just one point in a a whole message, and this is all about moving toward God. But tongues is a powerful tool to connect with uh, God through the Holy Spirit. And there's two basic uses for tongues in the New Testament. A lot of people get this confused. And the first is just personal edification. Uh, 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 The Bible says that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. This is the only thing in Scripture that we can self-edify. It's the only thing that Scripture points out. We're instructed to read the Word and all that, but this, it clearly says, if you speak in a tongue, you're going to build yourself up. 
You're going to make yourself more spiritually strong and, and equipped. <clears throat> and then Jude 120 says, but you, beloved, building yourself up, same idea, up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we are actually uh, building, uh, increasing our faith level. And the second purpose of tongues is edifying the church, building up the church, when tongues are done with interpretation. And so much of that chapter of 14 of uh, 1 Corinthians is talking about how tongues and other spiritual gifts like prophecy are to be used in a public meeting because the church in Corinth was getting it all wrong. They were getting a whole bunch of people together and all praying in tongues all at the same time for lengthy periods of time, okay? And that's really exciting if, uh, you know, to experience once in a while. But if that was Sunday church, every morning we got together for an hour and a half and all just yelled in tongues. <clears throat> the Bible actually says uh, an unbeliever or someone that doesn't have the gift of tongues will walk in and say, you're crazy. You know? And so <laughs> uh, there's times to experience a breakout like that, but we need to have edification for the church, and so that comes through uh, interpretation of tongues or prophecy and teaching and such like that. And 1 Corinthians 14, it's, uh, Paul, the Bible says, through Paul, says, I wish you all, I wish you could all speak in tongues. <clears throat> and uh, I believe that any Christ following, any, any, uh, some, anyone that's accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit has the capacity for the gift of tongues in the sense of personal edification, that you may be unlearned or unskilled in that area. Uh, you may not have the gift of publicly speaking in tongues for the edification of the church, and that's where the later verse in Corinthians 14 says, not all have tongues, not all prophesy. That's talking about as functioning within a public setting, a public meeting. But the personal uh, uh, gift to edify is available. You know why? Because how many here don't need to be edified? And would God not give you a gift that can build you up, but give it to someone else? No, he's gonna, if, if there's something that uh, we need to be built up, God's going to give it to us. And tongues is considered the least of the gifts because it, it only builds us and we want to strive for the gifts that, that build others. So not all have the gift of speaking in tongues in a public setting or prophesying or working of miracles, but we can pray in tongues. And so <clears throat> it says, for prophecy is greater. <clears throat> it says, I wish you all could speak in tongues, but even more that you all could, it, could, it can also be translated as would, I'll prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Uh, and then Paul kind of concludes this whole thought process. He says, for I, I pray in my tongue, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, when we pray in tongues, your brain doesn't know what you're saying unless God gives you an interpretation. But I pray in tongues all the time. If you're around me, you know this. And uh, when you're not around me, I'm praying in tongues even more, especially on my motorcycle. Right? <clears throat> Nobody can hear me. I know. And then you have to stop signing about. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's true, though. It's like, because I connect with God that way. And it's easy because my brain is disconnected. It says that. My understanding is unfruitful. It means it, it bypasses all of the filters that my brain has in place, and my spirit communes with the Holy Spirit, and that edifies me. And so Paul says, what's the conclusion then? Well, I'm going to pray with the Spirit, and I'm also going to pray with understanding. Duh. I'll sing in the Spirit, and I'll also sing with understanding. They do both <clears throat> as much as possible, and they're powerful ways to move closer to God. Number three, a uh, tool for the s- s- maturity skill of your upward call of God in Christ is worship. And um, worship, of course, means more than just singing, but that is a primary way that we express worship is through song and, and, and uh, uh, expressing uh, our uh, value of God through our words and, and our singing. It says, the hour is coming, and now he is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Do you realize that God is looking for something? God is looking for something. What's he looking for? Worshippers. Have you ever been looking for something? Yesterday I was looking for my tire pump because the tires on my van were flat. I was like, where did my boys put it? But then I realized, I found it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right? And when I found it, I was happy. Right? And so, you want to make God happy? Think of it. You have the power. You. And I don't care what you did earlier the day or yesterday, how messed up you feel you are. If you turn and worship God in spirit and truth, God says, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. He's seeking such to worship him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As long as you're breathing, praise God. And of course, there's hundreds and thousands of scriptures uh, that talk about this. When we sing or listen to a worship song, it affects our souls. And uh, uh, worship pastor Carrie Miller uh, wrote the uh, blog. It's uh, in the email, and I'm actually going to quote her. I thought it was so right on. It says, getting our minds and focus off of ourselves and putting our focus on the Lord and his goodness creates a shift in our spirits. Our, our souls move to a different place simply by getting the focus on God. And that, that, uh, you can do that by singing or, or um, uh, by, t- by using worship songs. That now it's just like there's an endless supply of worship songs that you can use to connect with God. And you need to take time daily, daily to worship the Lord so that you, your soul moves toward the Lord. I have a few friends, uh, this one pastor in Ukraine, and uh, uh, he dedicated, I think it was two hours every night just to spend in worship privately, put on worship music, 
and just, and just be before the Lord. And he did that for over a year, almost two years, and revival broke out in his church. And he began to see supernatural healings. So many, what they did was every, every time someone was physically healed, they put a little testimony on their website. And his church had the most visited Russian language website in the world. Testimonies of healings. And he says the only reason that happened is because I took up to two hours every night for a year and a half or two years, and all I did was worship. And if that can bring revival not only to a person, but to a church and to a nation, it can be, bring revival to you. Last one, uh, finish with this. There's many, many ways. I'm just going to touch on four. And this is hearing God's voice. Jesus said in John 4, uh, 10, says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Actually, four different times in John uh, 10, Jesus uses the idea of his sheep. He says the same thing four different times, different ways, but the same idea that his sheep hear his voice. He's really making the point there. And the word for voice in the Greek, <clears throat> I can't, uh, it's, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of funny. It's, it's phone. It's like uh, hearing God's voice is you getting a call from God. Okay, yeah, thanks, Lord. Really? Oh, I'll, I'll deal with that. Okay, I love you too. You know, have a special ringtone <laughs> for Jesus calling. Uh, it's just, it actually means sound. It's a Greek word for sound or tone or voice or speech. Okay? And the illustration that Jesus has used that his sheep uh, know his voice um, of the shepherd, it would be understood by everyone, just like you understood my illustration of using a phone, because we all have a phone. In their day, they were very familiar with seeing sheep uh, led by shepherds. And, uh, and, and when uh, in the evening, especially in the villages, all the sheep uh, would just share this communal pen, all right, as shepherds came in from the field. But in the morning, I've, I've been told this because I've read commentaries and experts that know these kind of things, the shepherd would go out and call his sheep, make a particular sound or just the sound of his voice, and his sheep would come out of the, the herd uh, just by following his voice. You know, because the, each sheep could uh, recognize the voice of their shepherd, and they wouldn't go off with some other shepherd. And that's the idea. And so when Jesus said that, everyone that heard him thought of seeing that in the villages in the morning when the sheep would go after particular shepherds out to be fed. And in the same way, it's recognizing uh, the voice of the Lord. It's not referring just to knowledge or biblical truth, as absolutely vital as that is. It's the intimate ability to recognize the voice of our Lord Jesus. Scripture is our only authoritative source of revelation. Anything that we hear, and it doesn't have to be audibly, 
uh, prophetically, it can be something we read or uh, image that God shows us. I'm more of a visual guy, so I usually get images. I get dreams. I get visions. I see things in my mind's eye or through journaling or while we're praying. All of that kind of stuff needs to be submitted to the objective truth of Scripture, rightly understood, properly applied with good biblical counsel. But Scripture teaches us, okay, in this objective word, it teaches us that we need to be able to hear the voice, the tone, the actual voice of the Lord, which is above and beyond just reading his book. Jesus never said, read my book. He said, they'll hear my voice. And that's a powerful, powerful way uh, to, to connect with God. There's other ways, of course, in the upward journey, but we need to learn how to evaluate. Are we stuck in hearing God's voice? Maybe you've never learned it. Uh, 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 maybe you've never learned how to pray in, in your spiritual language. It's available. Um, uh, and uh, you, can, you can pursue that. Or maybe you've never prayed out loud, or maybe you just, you know, you, you do the instant prayer uh, like instant coffee, <clears throat> but God wants you to have a nice, you know, latte with him. Uh, he, he wants you to go deeper in prayer. <clears throat> All of these things are essential, not only increasing in them, but being able to communicate with one another uh, and share that. And so in, in the community groups, we're going to be uh, talking about that and praying together because we want to build a discipleship community in this church. I'm going to have Pastor Bill come up and close.